Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4, we'll be in verses 1 through 6 today. 1 John 4, 1 through 6. Let's go ahead and begin uh, with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your great kindness and love for us. We thank you that you have not left us um, to be wandering uh, aimlessly through this world, but you've given to us your word that is a firm foundation for us. I pray that we would cling to it. I pray that you would help us to point our community and our neighbors and this world to Christ. Give us wisdom today as we look at the topic at hand, the passage, us to understand it and apply it to our lives in Christ's name. Amen. Our grandparents would never have predicted the world that we find ourselves in today. Technology is running at breakneck speed. It is going so fast that it's difficult to know what to believe any longer. There once was a day where if you were to present someone with a video or an audio recording, that you could say with pretty good confidence that what you were seeing actually uh, happened. Uh, you generally believe that it was real, and today, uh, not so much. Uh, this thing called AI is getting so advanced uh, that uh, it, it is, it's going at breakneck speed. There's a website that you can go to uh, called thispersondoesnotexist.com, and it generates for you an image of a person that looks completely real, that is totally generated by AI. The New York Times did an article on this, and they say this. There are now businesses that sell fake people. On the website generated.photos, you can buy a unique, worry-free fake person for $2.99, or 1,000 people for $1,000. If you just need a couple of fake people for characters in a video game, or to make your company website appear more diverse, you can get their photos for free on thispersondoesnotexist.com. Adjust their likeness as needed. Make them old or young or the ethnicity of your choosing. If you want your fake person animated, a company called rosebud.ai can do that and even make them talk. One of these websites I saw, there's a little slider that you can slide back and forth between the different characteristics that you want to kind of perfect that fake person. Now, my point here today is not to talk about the ethics of AI. That's a whole other conversation for another day. Um, rather, my point simply is to acknowledge that we are living in a world where it has become increasingly difficult to distinguish reality from fantasy, to know what is real and what is fake. A number of months ago, there was a story of a woman, some of you may have read this story, uh, who received a phone call from a man who was threatening that he was going to harm her daughter. And he said, I have your daughter here with me. And he puts this voice on the phone, and this woman says, it was my daughter's voice. There was zero doubt in my mind that this was my daughter. Uh, the man had actually got some clips of her daughter's voice put it through some kind of an AI-generated thing, and now he could make her say anything in, in this girl's voice. And so, so much so that her very own mother thought that it was her daughter's voice when it, it was not. 
uh, recent years, Hollywood has brought back actors uh, in their younger self versions. There's whole movies now that you can watch, and it shows an actor in what they used to look like 20, 30 plus years ago. At a minimum, this should give us pause before we believe everything that we see, especially on the internet. In any event, our generation is facing a crisis of reality. We can't tell anything apart anymore, and all the more reason to practice something called discernment, a skill that is certainly endangered in our present age. Today, uh, in 1 John chapter 4, uh, we are going to receive a lesson in discernment. A local pastor told me a couple of years ago, um, after he had left, there was a group that he was participating in um, um, that, that shouldn't, they shouldn't have been. And after he left that group, um, because of some things that he saw, he, he said, John, he said, I, I just assumed they all said that they were Christian, and I assumed that they were Christian then because of that. We cannot be so naive as that. Just because someone claims to be a Christian does not mean they are. And just because someone claims to speak true words that come from God does not mean that those words actually do come from God. Let's read 1 John 4, 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We're going to look at uh, four um, points today uh, as our outline. We have a command in verse 1. We have a test given in verses 2 through 3, a promise in verse 4. And then the difference between those who are from God and those who are not from God in verses 5 through 6. The command in verse 1 is very straightforward. In 1 John 4, 1, once again, we read, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. The word spirit here is uh, referring to uh, the, the influence, the, the person influence behind a teacher. If one's teaching comes from the Lord, of course, that spirit uh, is the Holy Spirit at work in that teacher. If one's teaching comes from Satan, then demonic spirits are at work behind a teacher. One is to recognize a very simple fact of life, and that is you cannot believe everybody. You cannot trust everybody. Uh, in the context of this verse in particular, we're told that we cannot trust everyone who claims to speak on behalf of the Lord. So-called ministers and prophets are a dime a dozen today. They range from the very believable to the outright laughable. 
One may recall, of course, in recent years, the very comical scene of Kenneth Copeland standing on stage and quote-unquote blowing away uh, COVID-19. One may recall another one of his sermons where he told the men in his church who were balding to put their hand on top of their balding heads and say, hair, I command you to grow, okay? We have all kinds of things where you can see people are exposed as false prophets. One might consider the numerous so-called prophets who predicted that Trump would win re-election. I heard a story of one who actually stepped down from ministry because he failed in his prediction in this way. Whatever the specific situation is, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1 is saying, in essence, don't be so gullible. Don't, don't just believe anything that anyone tells you. Instead, we are called, as the passage says, to test the spirits to determine whether or not they come from the Lord, whether or not they are genuine. The reason discernment is required here is because false teachers do not walk around wearing name tags identifying themselves as false teachers. They do not look like orcs or goblins. They don't lurk in alleyways in the shadows. They don't talk with raspy voices or go off on monologues about how they're planning on taking over the world. And there is no ominous soundtrack playing in the background whenever they speak. False teachers look just like you and I, and they sound just like you and I. Scripture makes this very clear in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan does not look like Satan when he presents himself to us, okay? He doesn't have the horns and his skin is all red and all of this kind of a thing, okay? He presents himself as something that we would believe. So convincing are false prophets that we actually see that God's children will almost be taken in by them in some instances. Matthew 24, verse 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect, if it were possible, they would lead the elect astray. Matthew seven fifteen, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. False teachers, according to these verses, will appear to you as ministers of light, as wearing the clothing of sheep, and will be so convincing that you will want to believe what they are telling you. Satan has been studying human nature for thousands of years, and he knows the perfect recipe that is most likely to make you drop your guard and be taken in. And if you think your verse of the day app is going to be enough to hold off the deception of Satan, you are deluding yourself. Okay, we need to be studied, we need to be studious, we need to understand the word, we need to know it in and out, and we need to be prepared and ready and discerning for whatever comes our way. We need to be, in the words of Matthew chapter 10, wise as serpents and innocent as doves. 
Again, in the words of 1 John 4, 1, do not believe every spirit. Don't be so gullible. Why? Because the world is saturated with false prophets. Again, in the words of 1 John 4, 1, many false prophets have gone into the world. Many. And so you must resist the temptation to believe everything that you hear. Fortunately, God has left us with some guidance, and this passage actually tells us uh, part of what that is. And that is in verses 2 through 3. There's a specific test that he gives to us that can be applied in this situation. Let's look at it. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Okay, this test that John gives to us to discern reality from that which is fake is a theological test. It's a test of confession. What are you confessing? What are you believing in? The word confess, of course, uh, here is the Greek word homologeo, which means to say the same thing. So a confession is to say the same thing about Jesus in this context, that God says about Jesus. I am confessing. I'm saying the same thing about this. This is a very quick litmus test. It's not the only test that exists in Scripture uh, to detect false teachers, but it is a big one. This test, according to verse 2, is that the teacher must confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Incarnation. Okay, the incarnation. And of course, verse 3 gives us the corollary. What's the corollary? Okay, Those who don't confess that Jesus has come in the flesh are false teachers. They are, according to the end of verse 3, antichrists who are already in the world doing their deceptive work. Now you remember that John is writing to an audience where a certain kind of philosophy is in its early stages. They don't remember what this philosophy is called. Gnosticism, okay? Gnosticism is in its early infant stages. John is writing to an audience that is starting to be influenced by some Gnostic teaching. And one of the Christological heresies that was going on in this day that had a Gnostic influence behind it is a heresy that says that Jesus only appeared to die on the cross. Um. They said that Jesus was not really physical. He was spiritual only. If they are teaching this, John says, that discredits you right out of the gate. Right out of the gate, they're a false teacher. This uh, Christological heresy that teaches that Jesus only appeared to die on the cross uh, is a heresy called docetism. Okay? Docetism... Uh, teaches, it is influenced by Gnosticism, and the basic underlying uh, reality underneath this is that, again, as Gnosticism teaches, everything that is spiritual is good, and everything that is physical is bad, okay? So for the Gnostic, the goal of your life is to transcend and get out of your body. I'm a spirit trapped inside of this physical body and it has this evil influence and I need to get out of it and kind of just be absorbed into the ethereal kind of world out there, okay? 
Which means that for a Gnostic person, the incarnation makes the least theological sense that you can make out of anything. Why would this good spiritual being God come into physical, a physical body? Okay, and so that's what's going on. You've got docetism going on. Uh, I, by the way, I'm not aware of any formal uh, uh, churches that would be teaching docetism today. It certainly is uh, taught informally. Uh, anytime that you maybe downplay the humanity of Christ, that has kind of a, uh, that type of influence going on. Um, nevertheless, what this passage is teaching is that a belief in the incarnation, that Jesus became uh, truly human, that this is one of the most foundational aspects of Christianity. Anyone who is seeking to attempt to formulate some kind of a version of mere Christianity must include this in that, um, a belief in the incarnation. Yet, with the reality that docetism is not a popular heresy today, at least formally, then how can one apply this passage? He seems to be warning us against a heresy that doesn't exist anymore. Well, let me uh, expand this passage a little bit and give us some thoughts on uh, applying uh, this discernment here. In Scripture, there is a rule that if someone claims to speak for God, and he gives a prophetic utterance, and that thing does not come true, then he's a false prophet. You only get one shot at this, okay? This is not a best two out of three kind of a thing, okay? This is, this is not, you know, your batting average kind of a thing, okay? You get one thing wrong, one prediction wrong, and you're done. That's it. Deuteronomy 18.22. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Don't fear anything that this man has to say. If you have not watched, this is new, by the way, if you've not watched the documentary Cessationist, I would highly recommend this to you. Uh, my wife and I just finished watching it this week. Uh, one of the interesting things in there is that uh, these modern so-called prophets uh, are claiming that even though you had to be 100% right in the Old Testament, in the New Testament now, you don't have to be 100% right. You can miss some of these and still be a genuine uh, prophet. And you don't have to step down from ministry. If we consistently apply Deuteronomy 18.22 to life in the church today, there would be much less deception in the church than there is right now. It wouldn't be gone, but there would be much less in it. If we would just simply say, Copeland, nobody's hair grew, you're done. <laughs> you're just done. If everyone would just stop listening to this guy, people would stop listening to these people, there would be uh, a difference today. In any event, that's one of the rules that Scripture gives to us. Another rule is given to us in Deuteronomy 13, 
And this one is an interesting one because what we learn in Deuteronomy 13 is that false teachers actually can perform signs and wonders. Uh, Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 4. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. Okay, so he says there even is the possibility that a false teacher could perform signs and wonders and could give accurate predictions about the future. This could happen. You might recall in Exodus chapter 7, an example of this very thing. Moses and Aaron are standing before Pharaoh, and Aaron throws his staff down in front of Pharaoh, and what happens to the staff? Turns to a snake, okay? And then all of a sudden we read that these magicians come in from Pharaoh's court, and they take their staffs, and what do they do with them? They throw them down, and what happens to them? They turn into snakes, okay? Exodus 7, 11 through 12. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and the magicians of Egypt also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. And of course, Aaron's staff swallowed the other ones, okay? If you've ever seen the animated uh, film, The Prince of Egypt, okay, and you've seen this scene, the way that the writers of that movie make this scene out to be is that these magicians are performing a parlor trick, kind of a sleight of hand kind of a trick, and that they are um, somehow tricking Pharaoh into thinking that they are able to perform these signs as well. I think that's wrong. I think that movie missed it in that spot, okay? Uh, According to the text, they actually performed legitimate signs and wonders here. There's no discussion of a parlor trick. It says they threw their staff down and they did the same thing. They actually somehow turned their staffs into snakes. Now, what do I think the explanation is? Demonic powers. Satan is real, okay? Demons are real. There is a real realm that if we peeled the curtain back and could see that world, that it actually exists, okay? And there is, though Satan is on a leash, there are certain things that he can do in the world. Look at, look at Job. Look at all that Satan did to, to um, cause wind to blow and knock this down and kill his children, to, to, to control the weather, to control physical aspects of Job. He had to have permission from God, but he could do those things, okay? There are real signs and wonders that false teachers can perform. So then the question is, how do we know who to believe? 
And in this particular case, the test is this. You measure the words of the teacher against what? Previous revelation. Okay? Anyone know where we can find some previous revelation at? Okay? It's called the Bible, right? The Word of God. And so if someone comes to you and they do something that seems very legitimate and real, and it may actually be very legitimate and real in some instances, you say, let me measure that by what this says. And if it disagrees, I'm not going to believe what you're saying. Is what they are saying consistent with what God has already revealed? Matthew 24, 11, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. The way then that we apply today's passage is to compare teachers to the revealed word of God and see whether they're orthodox or not. They must pass the theological litmus test. Thankfully, we have a promise here. He will hold me fast, right? And this is something that we cling to. 1 John 4 and verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. We have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Here's what the good news is and the good promises. Believers in Jesus Christ will not ultimately and finally fall prey to the false teachers. We can go through seasons of things here and there, but true believers have and do overcome the false teaching, and the false teachers. Now, it is very tempting and alluring in 1 John 4, 4 to preach some sort of overcomer's message where you are the hero of the story. We are the overcomers. Look at us. We are the ones who have overcome. But upon closer inspection, we see that the true hero of this story is the Lord Jesus Christ because the second half of the verse says, he who is in you. He doesn't say, you have overcome them because of how great you are. He says, you have overcome them because of he who is in you, and he is stronger than the one who is in the world. That is saying something about the reason for our overcoming. One author says, reliance on God is the secret of all victory, whether over heresy or any other snare. This verse then helps us from making the false conclusion that we are overcomers because of ourselves. I have overcome because of how much I, how great I am in my strength. Quite the contrary, we are overcomers because Jesus Christ is working in us for his glory. And he is Lord. We are on the very edge of delusion. <laughs> Did you read that verse that we saw earlier? That, that, that if it were possible, the elect would be, I mean, we are like on the very edge of falling over into just believing anything that comes our way. And it's Jesus Christ in us that keeps us from this. We are overcomers because of Christ working in us for his glory. It is Christ who gives the victory. Now that's one mistake to watch out for. There is another mistake to watch out for um, that 1 John 4.4 4 brings to mind. Um, 
And uh, this is, uh, it is popular in some circles for this, charismatic circles, of course. Um, but the mistake to watch out for is the whole demonic standoff thing that some Christians think that they are supposed to participate in. Um, well, we have overcome them, so now we are going to confront. The demonic realm is real, and the demonic realm is far more powerful than you could ever imagine. If God were to remove the leash that he has on that world, you would be subdued instantaneously. You have no power over them. We are not called to confront demonic powers. Even the archangel Michael was very cautious about this. Look at Jude chapter, or verse 9. When the archangel Michael, contending, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. He was very careful about this. If Michael, the archangel, is like careful in how he's going about this, how much more do we need to be careful? You may recall, remember the seven sons of Sceva? Remember those guys? These Jewish exorcists? And they were going around practicing exorcisms. And they go to this man who has this demonic spirit in him, and they go to practice their exorcism. And what happens in Acts 19, verse 16? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, these seven sons, overpowered them so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. We don't stand a chance against this world. It is Jesus Christ who gives the victory. Certainly we should pray. We should seek the Lord's wisdom. But we, need, we don't walk into the room as if I am somebody and I am going to tell you what to do kind of a thing. We appeal to Christ. He gives the victory. He has authority over demons. We are in need of his assistance. The final two verses of the passage today tells us the difference between those who are true and those who are false. They are from the world, and therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's go to the end of verse 6. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. By what? He simply gives to us another litmus test. This is how you can know the difference by who you listen to. That's what verses 5 and 6 say. Note verse 5. Those who are from the world, that is the false teachers, the world listens to them. What's the corollary? Verse 6. Those who know God listen to, in John's words, us. Okay? The idea here is that John is saying that those who listen to the world, they're false, and those who listen to the apostles are true. Um, now, uh, for us today, the apostles are not alive. 
For us today, what are we listening to? It's, it's scripture, okay? When John says, listen, that they, we know the difference because they listen to us, the apostles, this is the written word, okay? Submitting to scripture. In other words, Christians listen to and submit to the Bible. False teachers do not. There is a popular phrase today that says, love over verses, like verses in the Bible, love over verses. Uh, There is a very blasphemous cartoon uh, written by or drawn by a pro-sodomite, and it is of, uh, it's a picture of two sheep, and there's one of those two sheep that is some variation of LGBT. And Jesus is embracing this LGBT sheep. And the other sheep says to him, well, what about the verses? And this blasphemous cartoon represents Jesus as saying love over verses. Okay. Um, This is the height of blasphemy against God himself. The world is telling us that love, their definition of it, is more important than scripture. There's a brand of false teacher out there who is saying that it is more important that we quote-unquote love people according to their definition of that than we follow Scripture. Now, first and foremost, you need Scripture to even know what love is to begin with. Okay, so let's start there. Okay. But even beyond this, this is a very clear violation of what we read just In the next chapter of 1 John, chapter 5 and verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Okay? There is no love over verses here. Okay? There is a love fulfilled through verses here. Okay? If I want to know how to love someone, if I want to know how to define love, if I want to know how I'm to engage in the world, I have to go to Scripture. It's not love over verses. There is no pitting of love against verses. They are consistent. It is through the verses that we learn how to love. I remember asking a Catholic one time what he thought of a particular passage in the Bible. What do you think about this passage? How does this fit in your understanding of theology? And he read the passage And he said, well, that's just Paul. (laughs) Okay, there's this kind of degrading of the passages of Scripture to say that it doesn't matter. Ultimately, we're not going to listen to that authority. Look, here's what we need to take away from this passage, okay? Test number one. Test number one. You want to know if someone is a false teacher or not, a heretic or not? Test number one. Do they yield to this or not? It's as simple as that. Okay? They don't pass that test, then that is a false teacher. 
End of story. End of conversation. There's no more discussion at this point. It is submitting to the authority of Scripture alone. This is the first and foremost way to detect a heretic. Now, fortunately for us, the Lord will not let us ultimately fall. If you truly are born again, then this promise applies to you. I love John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You know how encouraging this is? True believers will ultimately prevail, not because of their strength, but because of Christ's strength. He has done something internally in us so that we will know his voice ultimately. This is the hope that we have. Go a little earlier in John 10 in verse 5, and it says, A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. I would encourage you to yield to this voice of Jesus Christ. Uh, In 2011, the company that I worked for in Greenville decided that they were going to take all of their employees to a motivational seminar uh, at the Bilo Center in Greenville, which is uh, an arena that can house 15,000 people. And they took us to this motivational seminar um, that was highly attended, and there were a lot of big names there, a lot of famous people, uh, and they were all speaking on uh, how to get motivated. It was useless, but that's beside the point. <laughs> well, the, the admission fee was dirt cheap, okay? And we were all kind of like talking amongst ourselves, like, you've got to pay to book this very large venue, and um, you have to, I assume, pay these prestigious individuals coming here. And so we were all trying to figure out how in the world uh, are they going to afford this with how cheap these tickets are. And it soon became apparent, because about halfway through this seminar, this guy gets up, and he introduces to us some kind of software that they are selling that is able to predict the stock market, okay? <laughs> and, and he gave, and, and I'll say, I, I, don't, I don't know anything about the stock market, okay? So it was pretty convincing, I'll say that. I mean, it was like, okay, it looks like it works, I guess, I don't know. And, he, and, and okay, this, it predicts at this point that we're going to see an uptick, and so you buy here, and then you sell here, and, you know, this and that, and... And uh, it's only, I think it was like $250 for the package. Only $250, whatever. And if you want this, come down. And I did not buy it, okay? (laughs) All right, I'm just telling you. It was very obvious that it was a scam. But all these people flocked down. And I remember kind of just looking up from my seat. And all of a sudden, one of my fellow coworkers comes back with his little package and his bag and all this money that he had spent on this thing that, of course, never worked. We are, we're gullible. We will believe absolutely anything. The heart of man is exceptionally gullible. And the call from the passage today is to simply be discerning. Don't be taken in. If it sounds too good to be true, that's because it is, (laughs) okay? 
And that's whether you're talking about trying to predict the stock market or much weightier things about what voices to listen to in culture. And so I have just three points of application. The first one is be discerning. Do not believe everything you hear or everyone who claims to speak for the Lord. Okay, It's okay to just say, hold on, pause, let me process this for a moment. Okay. Second application is to test the spirits by comparing their claims to Scripture. Now, one of the things here that I have put in here that I think can be helpful to us is this. Seek out wise and seasoned Christians since in an abundance of counselors or safety. Okay. Again, I continue to reference the fact that there's like a body here, okay? A body of Christ. This is not like an accident. This is not like we're a family here. And it's perfectly acceptable, in fact, even commanded for you to go up to and can you, this guy said this on the radio or that or whatever, and it sounds believable, but I'm just trying to understand what's going on here. Seek out wise and seasoned Christians and realize that it's easy for all of us to be taken in, okay? And a multitude of counselors, there's safety. And then the, the final one is to trust in and rely on the Lord for victory. Uh, he gives the victory. Remember, he who is in you, not, not you, but he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. So give Jesus the credit and glory for overcoming opponents. We need him. We need him for discernment. We need him for victory. We need him for salvation. In short, we need Jesus Christ for all things. And so we must depend on him and him alone. Thank you, God, for your grace to us. We thank you for this passage in particular today. I pray that you'd help us as a church to be wise and discerning Christians, that we would not be gullible and simply believe everything that we hear, but that we would test those things which we hear um, to your revealed word, the closed canon of Scripture, that we would test it by that, and that we would ultimately uh, prevail because of you. We pray in Jesus' Christ, in Jesus' name. Amen.